97.3 ESPN, WENJ, WENJ HD, Millville, Atlantic City. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Hill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DiCecco. Powered by InsideTheBirds.com. He's in! Touchdown! Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. All right, Football at Four here with Mike and Broads on the Sports Pass, brought to you by the Atlantic City International Airport. Now departing nonstop flights from ACY to Atlanta, Myrtle Beach, and all your favorite Florida destinations. Check them out online at visitacinternationalairport.com to book your flight. That's Atlantic City International Airport. Flying made simple. Football at Ford powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Andrew DeCecco is with us today. A lot of stuff to get into here. Now, Andrew, as a full piece up uh, and his latest at InsideTheBirds.com, he was doing the division previews over there. We talked a little Giants and Washington last week. We're going to get into some Dallas stuff today, but I want to get into some other things as well. Uh, on this NFC East and some other storylines that are out there as Andrew DeCecco joins us now on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline as we get ready for football at four on this Tuesday. What's up, Andrew? Hey, Mike. I'm doing well, man. How are you? All is well. And uh, as we kind of, you know, we hit that part of the summer where football is typically out of sight, out of mind. But I think with every sport out of sight, out of mind. Everybody is still kind of like football has not left the lexicon. It feels like everybody is just like counting on football to keep some sort of normalcy there. So let's start with that in terms of the training camp. Um, what is the target start for football teams to get back to camp? Is there any sort of date or time that you know of that teams uh, that fans can kind of look forward to the next step for teams to get out there? Well, it's slated to kick off late July as of right now, but ideally you would like for them to get to camp probably two weeks prior. So you're going to have to really, they're going to have to really start formulating a plan here as far as, you know, as far as protocols and, and things of that nature. In the coming weeks, I would think within the next two to three weeks, you're really going to have to start to hear, you know, what their, what their game plan is moving forward in order for things to start on time. But as of right now, I, w- I would say probably, you know, five weeks or so from now. So we're looking like that last uh, week of July, because I know uh, about two weeks ago, remember, we were kind of hopeful that they might push the start mm-hmm. of training camp up because of all the minicamp stuff they missed. But are we at the point now where we feel that that's far-fetched? Yeah, right now, you know, like 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 we were talking about, every day you learn something new about COVID because it's such an unknown commodity right now. So, um, you know, two weeks ago we were very optimistic, and now we sit here on June 23rd and – kind of uh there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding it given yeah i you saw today that four phillies players uh tested positive for COVID 19 so there's there's a lot of new developments that are continuously happening and i think that when you see i mean in baseball's case they're starting they're slated to start i believe it was july 26th there's a lot that can happen between now and july 26th and you know um you hope that as players continue to get these things that you know switching gears to the nfl that you know you kind of like jeff was saying you kind of get it out of your system and hope that, you know, that that's, that's kind of, you know, out of your system in time for training camp. But there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot, there's still a lot of uncertainty here, you know, as we get closer and closer to training camp. Yep. Uh, and we'll keep our eyes on that. As Andrew just mentioned, and we told you before, a couple more Phillies players. And I think the NFL, Andrew, is anticipating 
when they have to start their testing right now it's involuntary to my knowledge right you don't have to get a test but once they open it up where you need to take a test the nfl is probably bracing for positive tests within their community as well we have seen some okay i think tampa bay buccaneers had a couple you saw the nba today the phoenix suns uh as they now are starting their testing you're going to start to hear more nfl and nba players on top of what we're already hearing now yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, right now it's voluntary, but I think it should be mandated. You know, you saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers assistant coaches that tested positive. You saw the various cases with the uh, Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans. You're getting, you're getting 90 guys. If you think of it in these terms, you're getting 90 guys on, each, on every team from different parts of the country. So to, to think that they're, they're not going to have – that there's going to be all – they're all going to have a clean, clean bill of health going into training camp is, is very far-fetched to think that way. So I think that you really need – I think that would be one of the protocols that we were talking about. You, you have to have some sort of testing set up probably at least three times a week, I would think, to ensure that everyone's staying healthy and, and then also have, you know, quarantine, you know, quarantine rules in effect, you know, should anything, you know, rise during camp. And then this today, just a couple of minutes ago, the Athletics' Daniel Kaplan reporting that the NFL will allow teams to set different attendance capacity limits. Attendance will be state by state, county by county. Uh, it will not be a one-size-fits-all, which I feel like I'm surprised that the NFL is not making it a uniform policy. In other words, if you're in, uh, you know, Kansas City, Missouri, your rules might be more lax than they are right now in Florida, and that's an unfair advantage. I'm surprised that the NFL potentially, uh, if that report is accurate, is going down that road. Yeah, I agree with you there. That's that's really uh, that's really troubling to kind of hear that because, like you said, it's you know other certain teams will have certain areas will have different you know advantages in that case. You know, teams you know in Miami and Tampa and. Those guys aren't going to have the same advantages that somebody, like you said, in Kansas City, Missouri may have. So um, I, that's an interesting tidbit that you just dropped. It'll be interesting to see how that kind of unfolds moving forward. But I have to think that they're going to have to tweak that a little bit just from, from an advantage standpoint. Um, I, I Like I was saying, I still stand by what I said on Friday. I still have a hard time thinking that the season begins with fans in the stands. It is pretty interesting, though, because didn't they – say that the head coaches were not allowed in the facilities until every state was open. So the coaches weren't allowed to be in their certain facilities, but yet you're going to allow teams to play in these stadiums based off of, or you're going to allow fans in the stadiums based off of which state says they're allowed to. It just doesn't add up. I don't see how that adds up at all. Yeah, exactly, Hunter. That's exactly what I was thinking. There's no, it's just very inconsistent, the report there. And, you know, it's kind of hard to see that fans fans being in the stands. Like you said, if if, if all, all the NFL coaches aren't eligible to report, you know, without without the different, you know, without without clear universal clearances throughout. So I mean, it, it's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here, and I and I really think that as we sit here, you know, five six weeks out, there's still so many questions that remain unanswered. Now, Bruce Arians was on a podcast mentioning that he might actually quarantine a quarterback and he'll just have this quarterback stay away from everybody else just in case he's going to have to use him. I mean, at what point is it, okay, this isn't going to work? Because to me, if you're quarantining a quarterback who isn't allowed to be near the team, he's not going to be able to practice with them or be able to execute any sort of plays, but then when you need him on a Sunday, you're going to call him. At that point, to right. me, it, it's probably not reasonable to play at all. 
Yeah, that's that's very ineffective. That's an ineffective approach. I mean, that might be the the smartest approach, but in terms of you know being able to keep your top quarterback healthy. But from a from a game plan perspective, you know, we could you know and the day to day operations. I don't know if that's feasible to really do. You're not going to be on the same page, like you said, as your players. You're not going to be. Uh, you're, you're not going to have the game plan that there's an, like you're not going to have the game plan down if you're if you're isolated. Um, and like Jeff was saying yesterday, you may reach a point where. I think I believe maybe even you said it yesterday that you're down to like your fourth or fifth string players. It could come down to that. And, and then at that point, you really need to really, really take a step back and be like, is it, is it worth even putting that, that product on the field? If you're going to these measures to, you know, take these type of precautions. That's interesting because then you start to talk about a health risk, you know, where do you have mm-hmm. capable talent even on the field for your product? But I think it was you that I saw somebody had tweeted about how the CFL, how many players are i figured that was you how many players in the cfl are actually talented enough to be in the nfl you might see a scenario where because of this you might see a lot of cfl guys or former xfl guys or you know guys who are you know maybe not thought of to be nfl players getting their opportunity because of this yeah i I replied to a tweet that said that you know that two-thirds of the players that are in the CFL have NFL ability. Now, do you well, agree with that? Two, no, two-thirds, I think, is a little is a little high, but there are a ton of players on practice squads and, and CFL rosters that that have Sunday talent that I think they get overlooked every year because they aren't they don't have the household name. But there's, you know, me doing the, the college scouting and the and the and, and really kind of specializing when I became when I kind of dove into journalism as kind of uncovering these these hidden gems and being able to see the positives in a lot of players that aren't getting the covers that they necessarily deserve. There's a ton of talent out there. Now, do I think that that's the right approach to kind of saturate the league with those type of players? Should there be, um, should there be an outbreak of COVID, you know, as a worst case scenario? I don't know that that's necessarily the best recourse of action there. Um, at some point, like I was saying, you have to really, when you're looking at all the, the worst case scenarios, you have to think, is this really, does this really make sense to kind of, if we're going to these, take these measures, does it make sense to kind of get have the season unfold, you know? Yeah, and it's like, um, you know, I know a lot of people, um, you know, I think we talked about it the other day, the Ed Werder report that coaches were saying that they don't think the season should start on time. And you wonder if player health was truly the top priority here, uh, specifically in the NFL. Like, I can understand basketball. They're in a bubble. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's still a lot of contact in basketball, but far less than in football, but the bubble situation that basketball can do, that football, quite frankly, I don't know. I don't know. Do you say to yourself, would they really play with this COVID-19 pandemic going on if health was truly the top priority? Yeah, exactly. So I think we, we kind of touched on this last Friday. If for, In order for them to adapt the, the NBA's bubble concept, that's going to be extremely far-fetched for them to be able to pull that off, given the sheer amount of people that it takes to put on an NFL an NFL game every Sunday. Um, so I know I know Dr. Fauci said that the season would be feasibly impossible to kind of start on time had there, if there wasn't a bubble constructed for NFL teams. Right, think about that, too. I, I That's, there's 53 guys, uh, 46 active on game day on both sides. You're going over 90 players, just players, that are going to right. be uh, in, in a place. And on game day, if the game's home, you have your practice squad players, you have the team physicians, and you have you have a number of people that are on the sideline. In addition to you know the, the act, just the active players, just the fifty-three man roster. 
Uh, you have upwards, you can have upwards of a hundred people in there. So to be able to pull that off for the, at the NFL level, that's not feasible to me. Um, it's just, it just can't happen. So moving forward, they're going to have, they have a few weeks here to kind of really, uh, really brainstorm how they're going to be able to get to pull this off. Uh, Cause like I said, training camps probably sitting about five weeks away now. I like that. Uh, hopefully five weeks, uh, we get some football back and, you know, we'll see if the health and things have changed as we know today, uh, some more Phillies players have come down. We saw a couple Phoenix Suns players. You're going to start to see more uh, because the testing is going to start to ramp up. So you will get higher numbers, as we know. All right, let's get into some football here. Football at four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Andrew DeCecco. Uh First off, let's get your take on this Dak Prescott situation in the contract. How much is his decision, in your mind, powered by him signing this franchise ta- uh, tender uh, which, by the way, he's making pretty good money, 31.4. Not bad yeah. if you can get it. How much of it is powered by the coronavirus? And him saying, all right, I guess i got to tap out. I don't know where else I'm going to get that kind of money under the cir- uh, the current circumstances. I think the, the coronavirus plays an enormous factor in him accepting and him doing that um, because when you really look at it, like we were saying, every day you get you get new information. So, you know, what, what's, what's happening today, tomorrow could be, you know, a, a spike and they decide to shut the, the season down, let's say, you know, worst case scenario. So to, to take that money now and get that money up front is, is probably the best, the, the best course of action that he could have done. And I think that it, it, it was, his decision was probably fueled uh, significantly by the coronavirus. With this DAC contract that isn't getting signed. Obviously, the negotiations going back and forth is a big reason of that, the Zeke contract, the Amari Cooper contract. Is somebody going to lose out because of this scenario, whether that's a Michael Gallup, whether that's Dak Prescott himself? I mean, what is causing this? Is it the the contracts that are already signed, and who is going to lose out because of it? Do you see a player down the road possibly not staying with Dallas because of this, this contract? Yeah, Hunter, you hit it the nail on the head. I think it has it has everything to do with who they decide to pay, and I think they're putting it off as long as possible. That's just the way I kind of assess the situation. And I think what's going to happen, and you're not going to be able to keep that keep everything intact. It's just feasibly impossible. So I think when you look at what the Dallas Cowboys have, uh, you're going to pay the quarterback. So if you, if you believe in Dak Prescott, he's going to be your guy. Amari Cooper, he's the top receiver. You're going to pay him. You have the offensive line. You have all these different pieces. But the one, the, the, the one player that's going to be doing a significant chunk of change is Ezekiel Elliott. Now, he's a great player, but running backs, you can't – it's hard to – their shelf life is so short that it's kind of hard to justify invest, making a significant investment in, into that position. So I think he would be the guy, to answer your question, Hunter, he would be the guy that they would move forward from um, to, to kind of meet the cap. So let's dig a little deeper into this Cowboys team here with Andrew DeCecco, football at four. Um, we know the coaching change. I have been very vocal that I thought that this team was clearly the most talented team, maybe not only in the East, but the entire NSC, and that Jason Garrett was literally that bad and that that was their biggest problem. Did they, number one, do you agree with me there, and did they fix it? I do agree with you there, 100%. I think he was – when you have a team like the Dallas Cowboys that has so much talent on paper and you're not able to, you're not able to kind of advance that talent and maximize the, the roster that they put together, you have to eventually start looking at the head coach. And, you know, he, there was many 
many many times over the course of the past few seasons where he's made questionable calls that have cost that cost them games and, and opportunities for a better for a better uh, playoff positioning. So um, I think that um, I should say a divisional uh, divisional standing. So. <clears throat> I think that they made a significant upgrade there in Mike McCarthy. He took a year off from the NFL to kind of uh, immerse himself with the with the analytics and and you know kind of he he kind of haven't had an outdated approach with the Green Bay Packers and I think he took that year off to kind of you know pick up on some of the new trends and tendencies and and kind of he he, he kept Kellen Moore who Kellen Moore their offensive coordinator has a he's a young minded fresh minded offensive coordinator and he has a lot of new ideas and concepts and I think we'll kind of blend. They'll, they'll blend together to kind of formulate that offense. There's a lot of things that Mike McCarthy did well. He doesn't. He he's kind of he's going to bring that West Coast West Coast approach where they they like to dink and dunk their way down the field. He kind of asks he requires his wide receivers to win their one on one matchups, whereas Kellen Moore will find a way to scheme them open. So I think that you know his um, uh, McCarthy's ideologies didn't always work when he was when he was with the Packers, and I think that Moore can you know kind of bring that to the table, and I think that it'll kind of seamlessly work together. Um, and then you look at Mike Nolan coming over, the, the longtime defensive coordinator. He's well versed in many different schemes. I hope he wears kinda, the suit. I hope he brings back the suit. <laughs> he, as you know, he's cut his teeth on the th- on the three four alignment. Um, He's got two tackles that he, he like. He prefers to have bigger defensive tackles, and he has that in Don Terry Poe and uh, Gerald McCoy. And he has uh, he had a lot of success in New Orleans as a linebackers coach, really developing Alex Anzalone and uh, Demario Davis. So um, when you look at what he's going to do, look at what he has to work with in Dallas with uh, Jalen Smith and and Van Der Esch and, and even the veteran Sean Lee. He's got uh, he's got an embarrassment of riches at that position to kind of work with and can kind of center his defense around. And you're going to see it. the back end still needs a lot of work. Like Chidobia Wuzier is better served to be, in my opinion, a safety, but he's going to be asked to be the top corner on the Dallas roster. They have a couple of rookies there in Trayvon Diggs. They brought back uh, Trayvon Diggs and uh, Reggie Robinson, so who I like, but they're not ready to play yet. And they brought back Anthony Brown, who's been very inconsistent, but he's going to have to, by default, be the starter because, you know, with the two rookie corners, the short offseason kind of hampers their uh, – hampers the production over the offseason. So I think that when you look at their secondary, they have a lot of questions there. And their same position, they added uh, Ha Ha Clinton Dix. He's um, he's kind of been a journeyman at this point. He was a from, former first-round pick, but you really have to wonder why he's been on, I, th- I believe this is his fourth team in three years. So he does have the ball production, but he's kind of a freelancer, and he takes bad angles at tackles, and he's kind of let up. He has a tendency of letting up big plays. So they upgrade over Jeff Heath, but Ha Ha Clinton Dix is – it's kind of a – I don't know that he's a uh, – I think I would consider him more as a marginal upgrade. Staying with the defense, Van Der Esch is a name. When I saw him get drafted, I didn't think he'd be as good as he has turned out to be to this point. Now, injuries are playing a factor a bit. But, you know, with the Eagles, they don't value the linebacker position as much as maybe the Cowboys do. What do you right. see out of him when he is healthy? I mean, does he change the game? Is he that important to that defense playing super well? Yeah, I think I think he's kind of their difference maker on defense. His ability to read and diagnose plays, roam sideline to sideline, um, and just his his instincts and his ability to kind of his coverage acumen's another aspect of his game where he's kind of able to to defend these hybrid tight ends and and movable offensive parts that are becoming so prevalent in today's NFL. When you have a player like him that can effectively erase that and uh, and just be that 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 run and hit guy and always be in pursuit, I think that that. He kind of he he gives Mike Nolan a player that he can kind of continue to build on his his uh, 
his linebacker uh, his linebacker development. So I, I think he completely changes the whole dynamic of that defense when he's healthy. Uh, looking at the Dallas Cowboys here, football of four uh, with uh, Andrew Checo, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. And, you know, if – if you mentioned you, you agreed with me on the coaching, and I like Nolan, you know, uh, as an interesting uh, name coming in too, because I don't know that their defense was the biggest problem there. Uh, it was more some offensive. I think they should have been a better offensive team. But uh, do you look at them right now uh, with the off season they've had as a team that improved enough personnel wise? Well. Yes and no. On the defensive side, they lost Byron Jones, and that's their shutdown corner, and they don't have that shutdown corner right now. Like I said, their top corner is would be better served to switch to, to convert to safety. So they have, they have some, they're going to have some coverage deficiencies on the back end. As good as they are you know, at the first and second level, that's always going to, that's going to be a concern. It could, could ultimately cost them games down the road. Um, I, I think that they've, they've improved at arguably one of the most important positions as a head coach. But there's still some there's there and the receiving core is phenomenal, by the way. C D Lamb was my top rated receiver coming into the draft. So to have him as your third option and this playing in the slot which he's which he's done at Oklahoma, that just that's gonna completely change the whole dynamic of that offense. So I think they've made, you know, significant upgrades, but again, on the back end, that's gonna that's gonna be their ultimate I think that'll be their detriment. All right, uh, we will uh, take a look at, of course, uh, many of the questions for all of the teams. We will start our division previews uh, next week, where we'll start to get a little deeper on every team. Two-a-days, we'll be looking at two teams every day uh, leading up to Eagles training camp during football at four. So we'll have plenty to dive into here uh, with the guys. And, of course, A. DeCecco NFL on Twitter. Give him a follow there and follow his writing at 973ESPN.com. It's football at four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Andrew, take care, pal. You got it, guys. Have a great day. And Andrew DeCecco, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Uh, that Dallas team, I said it many times last year, man. Garrett was so bad. So bad. And that was the difference in the division. His ineptitude made the division attainable, and his ineptitude allowed the Eagles to surpass them. That's unbelievable. How could you be so bad? See, I think uh, I don't think it, he is as bad as what you are saying. I don't think he's great by any means. But, you know, I always say this about NBA players. I always say this about sports in general. You know, the players do have to play. So while I do agree in football, I think the coach has more of an impact than other sports, no doubt about it. I think Garrett was bad. I don't think he is as bad as you are saying that he is. Like I put more blame on the players than I do him when it comes to the team not succeeding. Um, yes, and like yes. I totally do understand where you're coming from. I mean, I from do the point where like, he's bad. Okay, in football, I think the coach has a lot more uh, hand in a game than, like, say, basketball. No doubt players. about it. No yeah. doubt about it. And I just think he was a bad game planner. A bad motivator of talent. I think talent. it's more of the re- the relationship with the guys. He just doesn't just have an uninspiring that. human being, right? And that matters in football, no doubt. I mean, he people is a look hate at, the face. Oh, he's a hate the face to you, huh? Oh man, I want to get your hate the face list. list. Maybe one of these days we'll have a hate the face top, top five. five. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. All right, Sports Bash Live, ninety-seven-three ESPN. Uh, coming up, we got Ask Mike and Broad. Send us a question now, 609-403-0973. 
text message 609-403-0973. That's 609-403-0973. All right, we'll get to Ask Mike and Bros in just a second. Before we do, today's MGPT Top 5 at 5, it's our five favorite NFL coaches. Yesterday we did baseball managers. Today we're doing NFL coaches. Now, the NFL coach, there has been some colorful ones in the past, but not nearly like a baseball manager where they're like these colorful guys kicking dirt, arguing out in the field. How cool would that be if a coach could go out in the field and start, like, doing arguments, picking up grass. Picking up the flag and throwing it back into Brad Allen's face. <laughs> is that one of the uh, one of the referees there, Brad, Brad Allen? Brad Allen you went. Yeah, I went Brad Allen. Don't know who that is. Never heard his name, actually. Well, the only reason why I picked him out of everybody is because uh, that's my girlfriend's dad's name. So we always have oh, that really? joke when Brad Allen is on the screen. It's almost like, hey, look, you're on there. You know what I mean? All right, that makes sense. Yeah, So, but he, he's a well-known guy. I mean, you pull him up, I think. He's not the dude with the big muscles. You know which guy I'm talking about who thinks he's a hero? He's got the cannons. What was that? Yeah, that's who it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His son's now uh, in there. Right. But, uh, uh, ask Mike and Broge. You guys can ask questions now. Send in a text. 609-403-0973. We had a bunch of baseball Ask Mike and Broge questions from earlier. We can get to them. What do you have? Right, I'd like so, to hear something from your batch. Well, my batch is also a lot of baseball right now. And I think it's just because of the nature of the beast with baseball and the media and being talked about. People want to ask some Phillies questions. But I did get a text, an Ask Mike and Broads text, and I just got to throw it out there. Huge violation on me, apparently. And, and it kind of goes with the text message we got before we hit the break there. Uh, how the hell can Broads love Sidney Crosby? All caps, VIOLATION! Ten exclamation points. You, do you agree with that? Um, I understand his point of view. Did this, where did this come from? A Twitter question? No, I, it was a text because my buddy okay, heard nepotism? me. Yeah. You, you put I it did up it the again. list? Yeah, I did it again. I was going to say. See, I understand like irrational fan guy asking that question. Because in irrational fan guy's mind, you can't be a fan of anybody other than the Philly teams. And if you're going to be a fan of anybody other than the Philly teams, it can't be anybody on said team's biggest rival but you are an appreciator of talent and sport and i appreciate that as a sports fan see i know that the next thing that's about to come out of my mouth is the biggest violation in the world but i'm going to say it anyway when the flyers are not in the stanley cup playoffs i root for Sidney crosby to win the stanley cup nah, I can't now am that. i going too far yeah yeah i, I yeah that it's like funny. okay this is like the whole like hey who were you a fan of oh the cowboys why well they had a star on their helmet or why? Well, because Roger Stallback was their quarterback. You know, you're allowed to grow up. You're allowed to evolve as a human being and say, you know what? When I was a kid, I was heavily influenced by others. But now I'm old enough to make my own decisions. And being a fan of a team because of their sports logo is kind of infantile. You're allowed to grow up and say, you know what? I no longer have that mindset. So... You can be a fan of Roger Stahlbach, but you no longer have to be a fan of the team. You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely. So you can say, I'm a fan of Sidney Crosby, but I'm not cheering for his team to win a Stanley Cup. Christ, he's had enough cups. He doesn't need your support to help win more. But see, he's my LeBron James. Whenever the Sixers are not involved, I root heavily and very openly for LeBron James to continue to win titles. I want to see Sidney Crosby win 10 Stanley Cups. 15 Stanley Cups. I want to see that because he's the greatest hockey player my eyes have ever seen. 
So I want to see him yeah, but like, I like, dominate. I like Gretzky, but I wasn't like constantly cheering for Gretzky to win titles. But I do that. I do that once my team's not involved. I'm connected with people for the most part that I want to see succeed. Not so much last year when it came to baseball, but when it comes to the gr the GOATs. If, if Tom Brady's in the Super Bowl, you bet your ass I'm rooting for him to win another Super Bowl. I want to say that I saw Tom Brady win 10 Super Bowls. Why wouldn't I? Why would I root against greatness? Because you don't like the Patriots? No. I might hate Boston fans because they're annoying, but guess what? I appreciate greatness so much that I openly root for Tom Brady once the Eagles are not in play. Um, that's odd. Yeah? Yeah. I See, mean, because most people don't like Tom Brady because he wins too much, right? Isn't that the alternative? That's why people don't like him? Because he wins too much? I almost appreciate how much he wins. I want you to win more. Win more. I mean, like, I was a huge Roger Clemens fan. Okay. But I wasn't like, I want to see, Ro like, I loved Roger Clemens. Like, I was that kid. I don't know if kids do this anymore. I had a National League team and an American League team. I don't think teams I had do the that AFC team. I had the the NFC. Like, I was a Philly fan and all the Whoa, sport. whoa, whoa. You liked an AL team? The Red Sox. You enjoyed AL baseball? Not necessarily. I liked Roger Clemens. Okay. You know, he was my favorite <laughs> player in baseball. But yeah. I wasn't, like, act. So, in other words, like, if the Phillies couldn't win the World Series, yeah, I would say, ah, I want to see the Red Sox win. But I was a fan of them because of Clemens. So then you were in the same boat as me. Yeah, but I wasn't... I'm a little bit more heavy on it. I think so. Okay. I wasn't distraught if they didn't. I'm not distraught <laughs> if they don't. I'm not sitting there crying. I can't believe Crosby didn't win. But I do understand that I even stated it before I said the sentence. I think this part is the violation part of me, but I can't help it, and I'm not just going to fake it. I do root for Crosby because uh, he's my favorite player. So anyway, we want to get into these baseball questions. Tom asks, is it fair to expect Andrew McCutcheon to be back to his normal self after the injury when the season begins. Is it fair what? To expect Andrew McCutcheon to be back oh, to McCutcheon. his normal self. I would think so. I think by this point, I mean, you're looking at almost a year to when he, when did he get hurt last year? It was about uh first couple months in the season. Well, was, no, if you remember, it was kind of like around this time. I would say I would it was say around, June, maybe? right, I was going to say it was probably around this time last year so you're probably looking at about a full year. Let's see if I can uh, quickly uh, find this. Um, there it is. On June 14th, he had okay. surgery. So we're past a year. So, yeah, I would think he's back in – it's past the 14th, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I would think that he, you're we're past that and that he would be 100% healthy. 33 years old, though. Yeah. And, look, I think that he was valuable last year as a guy in the clubhouse and what he brought. But keep in mind – he was an MVP candidate in Pittsburgh, and since then, he has declined. Declining from an MVP, though, you can still bring some very valuable attributes to a to a squad, though. You can, but I will say this. I think his numbers last year, when you look at them, they weren't as impressive as you thought they were. He had 250 last year with 10 homers and 29 ribbies. Uh, his on-base percentage, 378, good, not great. Um... Remember, this is a guy in Pittsburgh was over 400 on base percentage almost every year. I mean, his Pittsburgh on base percentage, um, you know, for one, two, three, four straight years was over 400. So he's not near the player that he was there. And I think because the Phillies were playing well, and then when he left, it kind of correlated with them not playing well. We thought his numbers were better than they were, but they really weren't as good. 
I thought they were better than you could have anticipated, and I wonder if he can even match them again. That weren't even, like two. If I said this guy hit two fifty six with a three seventy eight on base percentage, are you excited? This is where I think in a vacuum you give me those numbers. No, I'm not going to sit here and say you know, well, we need that back. But I do think that there's something to be said about how the team fell apart without a leadoff guy. You were just throwing crap in that leadoff spot to the point where Reese at one point was playing at the leadoff position. I mean, you were just trying so much to find someone that actually worked there. He knew how to work the count. He knew how to be the leadoff guy. And I think that was more what you lost, more so than these insane numbers that pop at you. Just an experienced leadoff bat to kind of start things. I mean, during that stretch where he was there and playing, he would get, get on first base and then you just had the flow of Bryce Harper batting third and, you know, Gene Segura was batting second. It just flowed. And then Reese was up the bat. It just made a lot of sense when he was there leading off. It and did. you saw so many times it where did. it did. No, no. When they lost him, they lost a leadoff guy. That was big. I, the people forget about McCutcheon, though. He was he won the MVP in 2013. He was third in the MVP balloting in 12 and in 14. And he was top five in 15. I mean, he was a top five player for four straight years this guy so it's amazing how quickly things kind of start to slide down and that's not to say that he can't be I mean when was the last time he had he hit 279 with 28 homers in 2017 that's not a long time ago it's three seasons ago and that was in Pittsburgh he got traded to San Francisco and hit 255, and they traded him to the Yankees, and he had 253. I mean, he's been about a 250 hitter for the last two years. But I think if you get Andrew McCutcheon hitting 250 with like a 380 OBP in that leadoff spot, is that something that can be reasonable for this team and, and help them win? I don't think that that's something that hurts them. No, no I'm not. Look, I'm not saying getting him back is a detriment. I right. think it's certainly a help. But to answer that guy's question, I just am saying. Yes, he should be healthy, but that's not just assumed because he's healthy that that's the biggest difference-making piece is, I guess, my point. No, I, I understand what you're saying. I think a little bit of it was a, a lot of people did associate Andrew McCutcheon to what happened last year, but I, I think it's reasonable just based off of the fact, as I mentioned, the experienced leadoff batter. You need the experienced guy instead of, okay, let's try Segura for five games. Let's try Scott Kingery for five games. Let's try Reese Hoskins because he can't find a way to hit it all in the fourth spot. So let's throw him in the one spot. You just tried so much last year that you didn't have someone you can rely on in the leadoff spot. And I think that that's what hurt this team a lot is just being able to kind of keep it consistent up top. And, and you saw him fall apart from there. Cool. Now, we did get a text, by the way, that said Brody is odd. And that's coming off of that Sidney Crosby conversation. I mean, I can understand a fan. I, I, look, I'm the, I, I will be the first person to call the fans irrational. I have no problem saying that. I think most fans deep down understand they're irrational. I don't think it's a negative connotation to say you're an irrational fan. That's what a fan is. Fanatical. Short for fans, short for fanatical. Fanatical is irrational. I think you are odd in that case. I mean, you're not. Okay, I say odd. Let's say you were in a strong minority of people who are fans of the Philly team and yet appreciate or almost cheer their biggest rivals. Yeah, that is odd. Okay. That, that's odd. <laughs> okay, we'll keep it here with the outfield with the Philadelphia Phillies. And Eric wants to know if we had to choose 
Adam Hazley or Roman Quinn in center field opening day? Um, oh, just opening day? Is that like the opening day or like you're the full time? I think it's going to be a platoon. So you think just depending on matchups, who's yeah. going to get to go in there? Well, Hazley's a strictly lefty. Correct. And Quinn is a switch, but I think he's better from the right side. So I think you would see more of Quinn hitting right-handed and Hazley hitting left-handed. I personally think Quinn adds more value because of his speed. speed. I was not a Quinn guy. He really grew on me in August, right before he got hurt. He was really starting. I mean, he was such a pain in the ass when he was on the bases. And when he gets on base, he just, I mean, he's an automatic steal. His speed in today's game is just such a difference maker. Oh, no doubt that it is. I just, there's one thing that I question. It's just the injury, the injury bug. How long can you keep throwing Roman Quinn out there and saying, hopefully he can stay healthy, hopefully he can I know, stay healthy. But luckily, I, and I like Hazley. People forget, Hazley was a first-round pick just like two years ago. He got through the system pretty quickly. For him to come up and handle himself last year, I thought was impressive. He's a hell of a defender. And I know Roman Quinn has speed out in the outfield, too. It's not just about the offensive side of the game and on the base paths. So he can make plays in center field. But Adam Hazley is the it's the typical Philadelphia workhorse defender who's willing to dive and make the play and, hey, maybe even run into the fence and break his nose. He is that type of defensive uh, you know, intensity yeah. out there. I do like it. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Uh, the whole run into the wall, break yeah, the nose P- thing. PT loves it. I know. Well, I, I put it like this. I think Hazley is a step above the, the solid fourth outfielder, but a good if he's your guy. I always play like him he's, in the I'm category. Saying, if he is your – I think I see Hazley as like eh, a seventh hole hitter, like somewhere around there, with maybe the ceiling to get up to like a two-hole hitter, like if he was like turned into like the highest level of himself. Whereas Quinn, I think that if he is hot and rolling – he is a difference-making speed player. Just based off the speed. The though. speed, he can hit a little infield dribble or beat it out, and you know what happens when that happens. The whole inning can turn into a whole different story because you're, the infield dribbling hit or the infield base hit or anything that's just like this little dink is a deflator. It's such a deflator. And then when he gets on base, he steals second. Now you got a guy on second base, I mean, with the middle of the order up. And his speed, I wrote a whole article about this. I wish I could remember some of the facts that I put in that story, but maybe I can go find it for you here. Um, but Roman Quinn, when he was going in that month, right before, of course, he got hurt again, uh, he was a disruptor, man. He was really playing well. I always said with Adam Hazley that – he was your fourth outfielder kind of guy. I mean, that's where I saw him. But if, if you put it in comparison to other fourth outfielders, I think that he tops those. So he's at the top of the list of the fourth outfielder. But, you know, he, he can definitely provide something. I'm intrigued by him. He has so much room to grow. I do think you're on to something about his speed and how much it disrupts things, though, when it comes to Roman Quinn. I just don't know how many years in a row you can continue to talk about the injury. I know. That's the only thing it's... that really keeps me away from thinking about Roman Quinn every single year. Are we supposed to sit here today, analyze what the Phillies can be, and just act as if Roman Quinn is going to be talked about like we do with Gene Segura, Scott Kingery, Bryce Harper, Aaron Nola? We can't. We flat out can't have well, a conversation Matt about Klintak, him being there. Matt Klintak said 
He says, I say all that about Hazley, but we know when Roman Quinn is healthy and playing his best baseball, you can't take him out of the lineup. He has to play. He's that dynamic and impacts the game that much. He's not wrong. I understand what he's saying. I mean, the speed is a big-time thing, and you also factor in he can hit on both sides of the plate, too, which definitely matters. So, look, I I think that there's something to be said about his speed and how game-changing it can be. It's just... Well, you look at his batting average, is his speed, and if you're hitting close to 200 with that speed, is that more impactful than, say, an Adam Hazley who can hit 266 with less speed? How much do you value the batting average versus, uh, you know, the speed kind yeah. of thing? Which matters. But- no, it's a fair question. I, I think that, now, the thing with um, Quinn was, and again, I, I was so frustrated with the damn injuries, I was just over the guy. Um, but that little stretch kind of, you know, suckered me back in, I guess you could say. Is that fair to say? Like, suckered me back in? But he had that stretch of games. I guess it was in, when did he get hurt? In uh, August, where in the month of August, he played eight games. He hit 368 with three homers, seven RBI, four stolen bases. He walked five times. He had a 455 on base percentage. I mean, that there is an all-star. I remember, actually, those home runs because... I was with my cousin, and we were watching. We gave each other a look like, damn, Roman Quinn. I mean, during that whole entire stretch, he was definitely on fire. And when Roman Quinn was going off and hitting those dingers, damn, if Roman Quinn could do this consistently, oh, that's great. Yep, that's that was exactly the way that I felt during that little run. All right, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. I have uh, a couple other ones maybe we can dive into on the other side. Ask Mike and Broads if you have a question text it in we'll get to him on the other side 609 sports bash with mike gill weekdays from two to six south jersey's number one sports talk radio show on 97.3 espn fm all right sports bash live 97.3 espn we have a couple overflows on the uh, ask mike and broads questions if you want to get to some of those we'll fire them off real quick i got one here that says um Vince Velasquez gets hit hard the second time through the order and was historically bad the third time around last year. Why are the Phillies still trying to make him a starter? Fair question. I can't stand Velasquez the starter. He's a hate-the-face starter. Oh, you think he's a hate-the-face? Multiply your hate-the-face for Vince Velasquez by 50, and that's how I feel about Nick Pavetta. He's just as bad, in my opinion. Yeah, but... Velasquez has some discernible talent in another role. Oh, point. no doubt about it. The thing that pissed me off about Nick Pavetta is he's a crybaby. He looks like me when I was seven years old on the mound and the umpire doesn't give me the call that I want and I start to cry and my mom yells, Hunter, stop crying out there. You know, when the parents start getting in there and they start screaming at you to stop looking like you're pissed off because then the ump is going to start calling pitches. But he he just, he cries. He literally, he's in the MLB and he cries on the mound. I mean, come on, dude. Am I being too strong? No. Okay, he's a hate the face. He's on the, you want to talk about top fives? He's up there. Breaking news. I can't stand Velasquez when he starts. I agree with you. But I I can't stand him. But Nick Pavetta has, if you want to talk about having the stuff in a certain role, here's another thing that bothers me about Nick Pavetta. He has the stuff to be a starter. So why the hell can't he figure it out? Yeah, he just doesn't have the testicular fortitude. All right, coach. Yep. All right. He's got no ticker. But to go to the question, though, <laughs> to go to the question about Vince Velasquez, why do they keep doing it? I wish I knew. 
I have no idea. I've been screaming about it for years. We've been talking about getting pitching, getting pitching, getting pitching. And you know what? I tip my cap to them for getting Zach Wheeler. They needed to do more. And I, and I thought the way to approach this is, okay, I get you can't get all these pieces in one in one offseason. It would be ridiculous to think they could fix all the holes, all of the starting rotation in one offseason. But what you do is you get a Zach Wheeler, and then you find a way to maybe sign a Roark or a player like that on a smaller deal who's just your veteran pitcher who's an upgrade from Vince Velasquez, but you're not committing to him like a Zach Wheeler. And I think they failed to do that, and that's where I think I lost them a bit. Uh, guys, if you could sit in a room with one MLB owner and player, what would you say? If you could sit in the room with the MLB owners and players, not one, what would you say to them? I can't say that on radio. Are you in the same boat as me? Well, I mean, can you clean it up? I don't think I could. And I think that just shows you where I'm at with this damn sport right now. I'd be coming in. I would be red hot. I'd be pacing back and forth. I'm thinking of a conference room, right? They're all sitting around a table. Maybe they're going to take notes so they got their pens and pads and they're ready to say, all right, what's Broach going to tell me today? And I'm walking back and forth in front of the whiteboard, and I'm just freaking out, pointing at one of them, spits flying, figure it out. <laughs> That's what I would do. I think I would calmly. White shoes, white socks. Yeah, I think I would calmly. Strawberry donuts. <laughs> Hey, I got donuts. <laughs> They're all pissed off. Ah, damn it, Broads, you brought in the strawberry. I think I would calmly sit down and just ask both sides. Do you really think that either one of you are qualified for this discussion? So you're going to play the, I'm not mad at you. I am so disappointed in your card. No, I'm just going to extremely, like, rip them, like, just start to slow. It's like, you know... You ever, like, you watch, like, these TV shows, like, I'm watching Homeland right now, when they capture someone, they want information, and you, like, torture the guy. Like, they put a, they put a rag on his face, and they pour water on it so they can't breathe. Right. Like, and I would say, like, you know, if I was going to capture somebody and torture them, like, how would you do it? You know, and you just start by that. You know, I say, I would take a little razor blade and just start slitting under your eyelids. That is so much worse than mine. That just is so one, much worse. Just one little, every time you don't give me what I want, boom. Right until it starts going down. And then I'd move to another part of your body. <laughs> That's how I would go into this baseball meeting. I like that. I like that way more than I mine. think I'd get a deal done. I think so, too. I might be on the other side <laughs> doing it to somebody else, too. Oh, I went too deep, Gil. What are we going to do?